1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Crossing Ground Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and enjoyment. Jesus is king. There is no neutrality, no exile, no surrender. My name is Jason, and I'm only with one of my co-hosts today, John Andrew. Howdy, howdy. How you doing today? Not bad, not bad. I think we, uh, I think Donald Trump deported the Canadian, I think. Yeah, is that what the, happened? the Canadian is gone. No, <laughs> no, no, he's just out of town, yeah, Jordan couldn't be with us for this recording, so he will be back, Lord willing, of course, next week, um, but we certainly miss him. So it's just John and I today, and uh, I'm really, we were just talking before we started recording about uh, kind of what we want to handle today, and I'm really excited about the topic. Yeah, it's a big topic. It's a big topic with a lot of application, too, and... Obviously, we're going to scratch the surface. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe this will end up being a three-hour show. I don't know. We'll see. Um, we're going to get into power religion versus dominion religion. Those two concepts, the great antithesis of history, um, dominion religion being the religion of Jesus Christ, the triune God, uh, service-based ethics, those types of concepts. And then, of course, you have the power religion, which is satanic. It is um, completely antithetical to the gospel. Um, so we're going to explore those things. We're going to define our terms in a bit. And then I think in the second half, we'll just you know unpack it, look at yeah. some examples. Yeah. Uh, so, But before we get into that, just a, a quick reminder, you can find us on Facebook. You can go to Crossing Crown Radio. Uh, Crossing Crown Church is there too. Our website, crosscrownchurch.com. 
You can explore some of the things there. As we mentioned last week, we have the Cross and Crown Seminary, which is um, open 24-7. <laughs> we, uh, we were going to do some cohort um, model type thing, but we just realized I think it's just good to have it open. So if you have interest in um, taking your discipleship, taking your you know, practical understanding of the kingdom and wanting to spell that out to learn more, um, to have maybe a little more disciplined study. That's what the program's designed for. So you can find that at our website, crosscrownchurch.com. You can check out the seminary there, read more about it. Send us an email too. The email is there listed. If you have questions, certainly let us know. Um, we can give you an idea of what's expected and those things, but we would definitely love to have you. Um, grow in your understanding of Christian Reconstruction. Absolutely. And it's applying. a really great program. Uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians will go through the sort of typical, I don't know how to call it, maybe institutional educational forms and end up coming out having to unlearn a lot. Yes. <laughs> and go back and actually learn some ideas about God's law and about power religion, about dominion, and ending up spending a lot of time unlearning a lot of these other concepts. And a lot of things where they might not have needed to spend as much time on it. And, of course, there's also the financial cost, spending lots of money on these diplomas and these papers uh, where it's not really worth it. Yeah. I, I Just firsthand testimony for me, I feel like I learned way more after Bible college and seminary, uh, mostly because I, I feel like I learned how to actually study in a way that was diligent and knowing where to look and... And frankly, I'll just say it. I think a lot of our modern day seminaries are just completely deficient because it's very pietistic. It's defeated. Um, it's a defeatist mentality. I think we're seeing the fruit of that now. Mm -hmm. Definitely in our culture. I mean, we look around and, and blame, you know, the gays are taking over and all this stuff. And we blame the world for acting like the world when the Christian hasn't acted like a Christian. Right. I think exactly. that's where the blame lies. I think that's what, partly what you're getting at. Anyway, you can check out that stuff at the website. So last week we um, invited you to give us some reviews. We said we would read them on air, and so we're going to do that. We actually had an iTunes review come in, which is really cool, from JVince2K, um, which is a, a gentleman that John and I, we've met, and he even ma makes mention of that. But here's what he says. He said, uh, the title is Cross and Crown and Christ-Centeredness. I recently heard of this podcast, and I am loving it. I can't believe I didn't hear about the podcast earlier, even though I personally met y'all, <laughs> little Southern twang, except Jordan. Anyways, I love it and keep up the good work for the Lord. Y'all are an encouragement and a blessing to the body. Love y'all brothers. Blessings. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. I appreciate the <laughs> encouragement. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you for that. Glad it's a blessing. You know, when I think about our, our work here, we have an ecclesia, a fellowship of what, maybe like 40 with kids. Um, lots of kids. Lots and lots of covenant <laughs> children. We are passing off the baton to them already. We want them to be involved in the future of Christendom here in Northern Virginia as we build Christian civilization. But it's amazing to think of like just what God has done here and the growth and the determination. We have a whole lot of, you know, ideas and plans, but, you know, without the Lord, they're nothing. So... It's really cool to hear this. Uh, we also had another piece of encouragement. So thank you for your iTunes review. This one came on Facebook, though. Great to have you guys back for season two. The first episode was a real treat as I'm currently reading the Pentateuch for the first time. Just finished Numbers. 
alongside Dr. McDermott's book, A Consuming Fire, The Holy of Holies and Biblical Law. So I'm sure you can imagine how pleasantly surprised I was that he was your guest. I also just wanted to say that one of the most unexpected transformations, that's a, that's a lot there, I've experienced since listening to the podcast and Dr. Jason Garwood's sermons, also available as a podcast, thankfully, is that I'm now not viewing things as left or right anymore, but instead I'm seeing everything from the perspective of biblical law and I've found that it has added great clarity. You also touched on this subject on episode two, keep up the fantastic work. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that that paradigm shift is super important. Uh, oftentimes we are drawn towards isolating ourselves into one corner or another, but those corners are being determined by the world. And if we were to actually follow God and not be subjected toward, towards this sort of cultural relativism, we have to stay constant on God's word while the world will be changing. So one decade immigration policies who, that are very strict might be supported by uh, the Democrats and the socialists. And the next decade, it might be you know, supported by the Republicans. But God word, God's word stays the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yes. And I've always said, I think you're doing things right when Democrats call you conservative and conservatives call you liberal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're doing something right when you're hearing flack from both sides. Absolutely. Yeah, because that, that means you're towing, we hope, the biblical line. Because, right. um, yeah, to see things that way, whether oh, you must be a leftist or you are just one of those, you know, stiff necked conservatives. You know, that's that's the category that everybody wants to throw each other in. I, I I just think that that's a dangerous place to be to to categorize someone in, you know, obviously we know that, you know, Republicans have their issues. Democrats have their issues. Right. The only one who doesn't have issues is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So that's where we want to be aligned with. So anyway, thank you for all those reviews. Thank you so much for your encouragement. It's a blessing to think about our little fellowship have any impact literally around the world. And uh, that's really cool. Uh, praise God. The glory is his. Absolutely. And uh, continue sending in your feedback, your praises, your blessings, your arguments, your uh, snide, evil, wicked comments towards you know, <laughs> no, whatever yeah. you like. Uh, send, it, send it in. We might, we might read it on there and we appreciate the feedback. Yes, most definitely. So please do that. Um, so I, I just kind of want to, John, I know we have a lot to cover. So let's just kind of transition into that we you know we talk a lot about building christian civilization here in northern virginia that's what we're trying to do um we are looking to the challenge with that i'll just say this the challenge excuse me is we we expect results immediately um we are very much um prone to that i think generally speaking um in just general christianity sort of expecting even in our culture everything needs to come now you know no interest financing yada yada but I think the reality is we know we've had to come to grips with the fact that this is going to take a while. It's going to take a long time to infiltrate all of the areas we're supposed to do. And I'll just throw out an example because I was thinking about it this week. We know that the welfare state is broken, but we also know that God's law requires us to participate in welfare, not, you know, um, gun to the head statist welfare, but just the church, the people of God, um, being generous and, and, and being charitable towards others. Um, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, those categories in, in God's law. But we need to be able to do that. And it's very difficult because the government keeps taking our money. Right. All right, the time. Exactly. <laughs> so inflation, there's all these elements. But we want 
as part of our attempts here in Northern Virginia, we want to, for example, have something like that where we are being generous and charitable and serving the least of these because that's the Dominion religion. Um, but we also know that there are all these other areas, capturing media, putting out content like this. Um, school, for example, education. We have a lot of um, folks in our, all of our fellowship, they homeschool there's, or there's some sort of co-op type arrangement. But we believe in Christian education being the way to teach Christendom to our children so that they can then participate when they get older. So it seems like a daunting task. Um, I, I oftentimes get overwhelmed at all the areas that we really need to cover, but we we can't. None of us you know, are billionaires, so we have to be creative in that. We, you, know, you don't have to be a billionaire to be generous, um, but you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of things to build and to do, and it can get overwhelming. But I think really that, I say all that because that this antithesis of the power religion versus the dominion religion is I would say you would agree with this I think at the forefront of our minds very much so very much so there's this dichotomy between the two that are that's very foundational and so much of what we talk about dang near everything we talk about on Cross and Crown Radio is going to be related to the idea of dominion religion versus power religion and we've talked about it a little bit we've touched on it a little bit but we wanted to kind of zoom out just a bit so we can really discuss these core foundational principles and we'll hit on some examples so we can better understand yeah uh, but it's important to get these principles down first so you can apply it to the individual topics um, later on when we might not talk about those individual topics but you need to be able to have the principle down so you can apply it elsewhere yeah so what do we mean then with regard to what are we what are we saying with power because we know like power just in terms of general you know scientific understanding power is just the ability to of force and time working together right right so power isn't always bad though we are in this conversation speaking about it in sort of a negative light so it's important to get our definitions down so when we're talking about power religion uh, we are talking about something very specific, and we're not necessarily saying any single time where you could ever think of having power is going to be bad, because sometimes power can be used in the same way as using the word influence or something like that. Right. Um, but we're not really speaking it in that way. So this kind of gets into like what we're going to be meaning by these words, which is, um, I think, probably one of the best places to go for that would be uh, Dr. Gary North spoke about this. And it's interesting. I was just talking to you, Jason, a little bit ago how... Uh, in this you know, day and age on social media, there's this school of thought within Reconstructionism that does talk about power religion a lot. It does talk about dominion religion a lot. I know we do and a lot of our friends do, but there's this other sort of tradition that will mock the idea of there being this power religion. And they will think that we're just making this concept up almost and i think a lot of times it's because they are actually wanting a sort of theonomy in which they are able to be the individuals in charge and i think rush Judy actually talks about this some as well and, and gary north talks about this so the reason why i want to bring up gary north is like we're not making this up yeah at all yeah i'm going to read in a second from his book moses and pharaoh which the subtitle is Dominion Religion versus Power Religion. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. It's just oh, right there. Oh, it's right there. <laughs> um, so this isn't like a modern thing. And I, I just wanted to comment on one thing. I'm sure we'll unpack this later.
later, but especially your comment regarding um, exercising control or wanting to have authority that's detached from ethics. Right. Right. Um, and it's this idea like it, it comes up in discussions on patriarchalism. Um, you know, this this idea that the man is the ruler and that's just intrinsic and there's no qualifications. He's just the ruler um, that shows up also in our immigration policies. There's all these ways that it comes about, which we'll get to later. But I just wanted to make that point of what you said. I think that was dead on this idea of power becoming get it at all cost. And like you said, power can be used righteously. You can use your power and privilege to serve the least of these, which is actually the dominion religion. Listen to Dr. North. He says this on page two of his book, Moses and Pharaoh. He describes power religion. This is a religious viewpoint, which affirms that the most important goal for a man, catch that the most important goal for a man group or species is the capture and maintenance of power. That's the goal. So that's the idol, right? Right. Power is seen as the chief attribute of God, or if the religion is officially atheistic, then the chief attribute of man. This perspective is a satanic perversion of God's command to man to exercise dominion over all creation. That's Genesis 1. It is the attempt to exercise dominion apart from covenantal subordination to the true creator God. That is, that's the key. What distinguishes biblical dominion religion from satanic power religion is ethics. Is the person who seeks power doing so for, for, um, for the glory of God or for himself secondarily and for himself secondarily, I should say, and only to the extent that he is God's lawful and covenantally faithful representative. If so, he will act in terms of God's ethical standards and in terms of a profession of faith in the God of the Bible. <laughs> in contrast, he says, power religion is a religion of autonomy. Now this <laughs> in some of these circles, you mentioned it. It's like, this we're not making this up no right? we're, we're not making this up at all there is and the thing is this is not unique to theonomy this is not unique to reconstructionism this is not even unique to christianity this is a symptom symptom of being fallen human beings right this is very very foundational we're going down to the bedrock of human nature of the desire to control one another and to exercise power over one another the idea is there everybody wants to be ruling over one person or another and they can do this by they can do this by guilt manipulations mm -hmm. they can do this by um uh, essentially saying i am the elder i am the leader you must obey me because of my title and my position or they might do it because of their age or their status or their race uh, or any number of things and it's always this impulse to control and to rule outside of the biblical boundaries of ethics. Yeah. So dominion of man over man, you might say. Absolutely. It's dominion of man over man. Now, there is a dominion mandate. But that dominion mandate scripturally is so that man, or we can say mankind, is to have dominion over the world, not dominion over each other. Mm -hmm. And so there's that stark contrast where we have these two religions, if you will, where it's dominion of man over creation, over God's creation, according to God's decrees, or the dominion of man over man. And that's the covenantal subordination that North talks about. Um, 
obviously sticking to the the five point covenant model, which we believe in, and we think it's very biblical and thorough. Um, perhaps can be abused to some degree. Sure. Um, but that's the key: is covenantal subordination. A lot of a lot of times we think of power in terms of Deuteronomy eight seventeen, right? My power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. Like that's the great temptation, and. It starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This was a power move. Satan enticed Adam and Eve with the uh, the temptation to be autonomous, to know good and evil and determine good and evil like God. So right off the bat, now you have autonomy being the lifeblood of the power of religion. The, the Cain and Abel story, right? Cain um, seeking to do and worship God on his own terms his way rather than being subordinate to God and what God expects and what God demands. Absolutely. Usurping God's authority in his life. Same thing with the Tower of Babel and this whole, uh, even the whole story of, of those who, um, Nimrod, right? And others in the book of Genesis who were mighty warriors. And, and then this, like this collectivist attempt to establish the autonomous religion by reaching into the heavens. They wanted to be yet again as God knowing and determining evil for themselves. Right. So autonomy really is, in a lot of ways, that is the lifeblood of of the power religion. It's an attempt to, uh, it's an attempt to usurp the covenantal responsibility that we have to worship God, to follow God, to obey God, to do things God's way. And that key word, I keep going back to it, subordination, especially when you think about patriarchalism and this, I'm the man, you must obey me. Uh, that's not that's not how it works. You're subordinate to God. Right. I, I think the pushback we'll receive oftentimes is that they'll, they'll say that the power religion isn't bad as long as your laws are good. Mm-hmm. And, and we're saying that the method of exerting authority is every bit as ethical as what authority you're trying to exert. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to say here. And I think that's what Gary North trying to say. And I think that's what scripture is trying to say. He said, yes, God's law is good. But part of God's law, an integral part of God's law, is how you exercise that authority. Not just what authority you're exercising. Right. Yep. That's all part of the ethical picture. So yes, there are these rules and guidelines. There is a law word of God. Yes, we ought to obviously obey these these statutes and these laws, but how we are to teach the nations, how we are to teach our churches, how we are to teach our families, how we're all how we are to teach our own hearts and to disciple our own lives, how we do that also should be by the law word of God. So the whole thing is ethical, not just what list of rules, but how we are to implement implement those rules. Right. And that's key to theonomy, God's law, how we implement the rules. Because I just keep going back to our discussion with uh, with Dr. McDermott in the first episode. Uh, here we have a a friend of ours, a person we love and esteem, we, we appreciate him so very much. He is putting forth an exegetical response to the great problem of how do we apply biblical law and what do we apply? And all you hear in response is, great, now the magistrate can't protect the family. It's like this whole thing is, well, now we can't kill homosexuals. So instead, again, this is the how of biblical law. Yes. Deal with the arguments then. Deal with the exegetical point. If you have a problem with the most holy being 
you know, transferred and there's this element of, of God devoting certain punishments, you know, that are reserved for himself. And if, if you want to exegetically deal with that, fine, but don't, you know, don't do the power play here. Absolutely. And, and that's why it's important to grasp these key concepts. Uh, Joel McDermott is not saying that homosexuality is no longer a sin. Right. He is not saying that homosexuality is is no longer an actual offense in a in a church of the living God. That is an excommunicatable offense if it is unrepentant of. So there's there's these two categories I want to make very clear. There's what is against the law where of God, the ethics. But then there's also the jurisdiction. Who has the power and the authority to exercise control over other people and to sanction that sin? Right. And there, those are two different things. And I, I believe oftentimes what theonomists and other Christians get wrong is that second, mm-hmm. that second part. Who has the jurisdiction? Some go the pietistic route where they essentially believe the church and the state and uh, really has no power and authority whatsoever to sanction sins and that it becomes a a life where all power and authority rest in the individual maybe the family and the church has no power and authority and the state has no power and authority while the other side of the coin is that all of these things that are sins are now controlled by a state or mm-hmm. by a church when it shouldn't be mm-hmm. so you have these different polar opposites if you will but both are misplacing the jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I hope that's just like when we talk about the Karen principle and that stuff with Joel, I, I hope it's just illustrative of the need for us to remember that we have to, as far as people who would say they love God's law and want to see it implemented in society, there's a way in which it is done. And it's not a high-handed power religion move. Every, I mean, Rush Dooney spoke of this. North spoke of this. It's like we forget that the foundational principle of self-government starts with the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and, and the power of the gospel being proclaimed and that being the tool that we go to to see God's order restored on earth. Right, absolutely. And there's so many conversations I've had personally with people and also on social media where they say, what about order? Yeah. Like there has to be this order in society. Honestly, like I under, I understand that there there should be order in society. Uh, this kind of radical radical anarchism where there's no order at all isn't a good thing. The question is who's exerting the power to enforce this order and how they're doing it. There's so much more to that question because frankly, like the most radical statist could say, "What about order?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it it actually gets into ecclesiastical conversations as well. If you're not some kind of like super high church ecclesiocrat, they're like, well, your service doesn't have any order. And I was like, well, it has a lot of order compared to like these other people. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's yeah. like according to whom. And it's interesting because this this idea of liberty to the individual Christian is is openly mocked by so many Christians, even self-proclaimed theonomists. While R.J. Rushdoony himself said, few things are more commonly misunderstood than the nature of meaning of theocracy. Okay, amen. We're mm-hmm. with you there, Rush mm-hmm. He goes on. It is commonly assumed that a dicta- dicta- dictatorial rule by self-appointed men who claim to rule for God. In reality, theocracy and biblical law is the closest thing to radical libertarianism that can be had. Mm. 
Are you but, triggered yet? But, but then, <laughs> <laughs> libertarianism is like a curse word in certain circles, even from among theonomist circles. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I mean, I actually, I don't agree with every last thing Rush Juni said, but a lot of these core concepts are exactly what we're building on. Mm-hmm. We're not destroying what came before us. We're building upon it. And we actually believe that theonomy, theocracy, what Rush Juni calls in this, this passage, is radically libertarian. Not because we hate order, but because we hate the order of man that is being imposed upon us in an unrighteous way. We favor the order of God upon society as opposed to the, the just the order of man. And those are two different mm-hmm. concepts. So yes, order is good, but whose order? By what standard are we to be orderly? Yeah. In a lot of these discussions, it boils down to the wrong antithesis. That's what it. That's what. That's what we do. The, we choose the wrong antithesis. We, so we think it's either Republican or Democrat, or you know we. Right. Exactly. We and, think it's, and if you believe that theonomy is basically being a Reagan Republican plus killing homosexuals, you don't get it. Or a Southern sympathizing Presbyterian, you know that's theonomy. That's the glory of theonomy. Right. Or, some kind of neo dab night. Let's get the South to come back because that worked out really good. Theonomy isn't about being more conservative. It's about being more righteous. It's not about being more Republican. On the flip side, it definitely is not about being Democratic. Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't want to forget that lest I be called a socialist again. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) not about fixing this American system. It's about making that it's it's not about making the system work for us. And I think this is oftentimes what happens, Jason, is that people think they can use this this evil power for good. Yeah. It reminds me of so many stories that we 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 watch and we read in society, whether it's movies or books. It's like, I want to use the dark side, but I'm going to use it for good. How that never works out. Never. Never works out. And it's about using the tools of Satan for good doesn't work. And that's why you have a lot of folks who what we might call the first or even second wave theonomists who have basically said Trump at all cost. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's no ethics with regard. Or they might give lip surface to it and say, well, Trump, you know, yeah, he's, you know, had a lot of marriages and there's that, you know, porn star situation and there's all these things. Um, but he's not Hillary. Yeah. Are we called to be pragmatists, Christians? Like, what's what's the deal with that? Yep. Are That's- we called to just fear Clinton so we'll become pragmatist about who we publicly support. Now, an argument could be made to justify voting for just the lesser of two evils, uh, thinking that your vote isn't necessarily going to be ethically packed in that way. But there's so many people who don't just reluctantly vote, but who actively support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one thing to hold your nose. I, I, I can at least, you know, if you can articulate that and there's sort of, well, my hands are tied. But it's not that. It's we need a border wall now and Trump's the guy to do it. Yeah, and yeah That's exactly. not theonomy. That's not theonomy. So um, real quick before we take a break, you talked, we talked a lot about power religion, kind of critique that, a little bit of definition from Dr. North. One thing he does point out in this book, and it's just the introduction, it's probably worth the price of the book anyway, <laughs> right. um, but he talks about one of the tools of Satan uh, is, and again, this is the false, this is the incorrect, uh, what we could say the incorrect antithesis, is he talks about the escapist religion. You talked about it earlier, the pietist um, this idea that, well, we don't want to go the power religion route because that's autonomy and yada, yada. 
well, but we don't want the Dominion religion either, so we're just going to sit tight and wait yeah. to Bef- get out of here. Before you read this passage, I just want all of our listeners to imagine the controversy going in the SBC right now. Because hmm. I think it's the same dichotomy. We have these pietists who just want to preach the gospel only, a gospel without dominion. And then on the other side, you do actually have some progressivism that is wrong. Mm-hmm. So you have these different sides. So just yeah. think about that when you when Jason reads this. Yeah, he, he basically points out the denial of the dominion covenant, that you know our job isn't to do anything in the world other than believe Jesus and die or get raptured. But then he talks about escapist religion proclaims institutional peace, right? peace at any price uh, Ezekiel talks about that but then he says in short escapist religion calls for flight from the world and because man is in this world it calls for a flight from humanity obviously ripping off Rush Jr.'s book its advocates may hide their real concern the systemic abandonment of a world supposedly so corrupt that nothing can be done to overcome widespread cultural evil by appealing to their moral responsibility of sharing Christ to the world or building up the church rather than rebuilding civilization. But their ultimate concern is personal flight from responsibility. In another riff, he says, it is a revolt against maturity. So that's the escapist religion. And arguably, that is the prevailing notion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In in America, we'll say, evangelicalism. Of course, I I mean, I experienced that even in Zambia. (laughs) There's just uh, a lot of it's tied to dispensational thinking. Um, a false dichotomy of law and grace, just you know, no concept of the Dominion Covenant and the Great Commission right. and how they work there together. There probably should be an entire episode on like a Dominion orientated missions, but oftentimes what I've read and what I've heard from you and other missionaries is that they might understand some basic doctrinal ideas about justification, but they have no like theology of life. Yeah. So their situation doesn't change, their culture doesn't change, and it doesn't actually revolutionize anything about how the society is built. Yep. So we just export Jesus calling and people have their quiet time and they think that that's like the height. That's the, the, the apex of Christianity. Right. Exactly. When they walk down the street and go to the witch daughter doctor after they go to their Christian worship service. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to read some more from Moses and Pharaoh just to discuss the dominion religion. We've kind of laid out the power religion aspect. We need to talk about, more of the dominion aspect as well um so once again thank you all listeners thank you for your feedback um we'll be right back in a minute i need you to hear i need you to see but i have i can take an exploding
Remember, O oh Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. With a yoke on our necks, we are hard driven. We are weary, we are given no rest. We have made a pact with Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned, they are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us, there is no one to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword and the wilderness. Our skin is black as an oven from the scorching heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands, no respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are sick. Because of these things, our eyes have grown dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us these many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Lamentations 5, 1 through 22. That's quite a text. <laughs> oh, yeah. Quite a text. It's quite a text because Jeremiah is obviously lamenting. Lamenting is a biblical category. Um, and he's lamenting over the condition of Israel, the covenant people, because of their disobedience. Babylon came, destroyed them, took them off as slaves. And it's interesting because, and I chose that passage because it fits within the paradigm of Jesus has called us to exercise dominion, but it's a service-based authority, right? It's a service-based dominion where we serve the least of these. And essentially in God's law, God said, look, if you aren't going to take care of the widows and the orphans and the strangers, if you are not going to treat people as image bearers of God, you will become that. Right. All the time. Jeremiah says it. Amos, Isaiah, it's all in the prophets. When you reject your calling of serving the least of these, you will become them. Absolutely. And you really do become like the world in that way. If you try to essentially establish a Christian civilization by using the tools of the world, you don't establish that Christian civilization. You establish a sick and twisted caricature of that in which worldliness is allowed to continue and allowed to flourish, maybe just slightly under the surface, but it doesn't work. And we've seen this again and again and again throughout history. And we don't want to just poo-poo all the Christians throughout history who haven't done things perfect. We're trying to build on that, though. We're not trying to go back and be a Puritan. We're not trying to go back and be like a, like a Southern Presbyterian. We're not trying to go back and be like a Geneva Christian. We're trying to build on that. We're trying to approve upon that because that clearly didn't work. Uh, so we need to take what they've taught us, take their mistakes and correct them and build upon them. That's the post-millennial vision anyway. Right. Quit talking about going back. Oh, I wish we were just like the pilgrim days when everybody was like a theonomist. That's not even true. <laughs> we had so many problems and so much that we can also 
learn from. Yeah, I just actually read a book, um, The Guise of Every Graceless Heart. Uh, you can get it at Calcedon. And he explores Puritanism and how basically they, while they still loved God's law, in large part did obey it, there was still a lot of rationalism and autonomy in their system, which led to its inevitable collapse. Absolutely. Fascinating history. And I've, I've read a lot of Puritans, and I have a huge amount of respect for most of them. I also see a lot of pietism in some of those works. Not all of them, of course, but a lot of them, a lot of pietism. Mm-hmm. Clearly, post-Enlightenment thinking did influence um, some of the later ones. Uh, like we're influenced as well. Like we're yeah. all going to be influenced by other things. Nobody's going to be completely like safe from being influenced yeah. by other people. We don't want to have this kind of like beat our chest pride about this. Uh, but I do think we are called to discern the past and not to just seek out some sort of reestablishment of a prior Christian civilization. And we look around our culture right now and we see the debilitating disease of statism just, you know, corrupting everything. And you look at the, the sanctions of Deuteronomy 28 and God basically saying, look, if you're going to be haughty, I'm going to bring you to nothing. <laughs> sort and, and that's exactly what he does again yep. and again. He brings it. He brings his people to nothing. And then I, I was looking at um, Ezekiel 22 this morning and it says in verse 29, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And then, and then the next verse is the popular verse of Ezekiel. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. This, the, you know, the, uh, the, the great passes of interposition <laughs> and, I've literally seen that verse be used in justification for building a wall against immigrants. Yeah, they didn't read interesting. the verse before that. Which is interesting. <laughs> yes, it is very interesting. So from basically Genesis to Revelation, you have this paradigm of the dominion religion being a being characterized by love and sacrifice and service and humility and meekness and all the things that Jesus said we should be um, because that's how you inherit the earth, right? peacemakers, so on and so forth. So I just want to start this discussion before, because we're going to get into self-government and family government, church government. Spheres of authority. Yeah, the covenantal spheres that God has instituted um, in his word. Um, But before we do that, I really just want to go back to Dr. North for a minute to kind of set the tone and at least give us, you know, some, a paradigm, because we would agree with what he says here. He says this of the dominion religion. This is the orthodox faith. It proclaims the sovereignty of God, the reliability of the historic creeds, the necessity of standing up for principle, and the requirement that faithful men take risks for God's sake. It proclaims that through the exercise of saving faith, there's a key word there, right? Faith. And through ethical conformity to God's revealed law, regenerate, key word, regenerate men will increase the extent of their dominion over the earth. It is a religion of conquest, but he defines it. Because people get rowdy on that. Yes, we're going to conquest. Yeah, they, they probably have profile pictures on Facebook of crusaders. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's conquest. He says conquest by grace through ethical action. Wow. So the goal is ethical conformity to God, but the results of this conformity involve dominion over lawful subordinates, over ethical rebels, and over nature. He goes on, dominion religion recognizes the relationship between righteousness and authority between covenantal faithfulness and covenantal blessings. 
So the Dominion religion is built on the principle of regeneration and faith. We, we are redeemed and restored to Christ. Our image, the image of God in us is restored and whole. So now that we can function as the servants God has called us to function as. I think there is an interesting parallel between power religion and works righteousness. Where instead of viewing power and authority coming from regeneration and from ethics and from faith in Christ, it comes from just what I have done, who I am. And it's always coming from the self. And I think that's the, really the, the connection. I know that it breaks down at some point. But power religion is always going to be power coming from myself in some way, shape, or form. I'm a man. I have the right genitalia. Mm-hmm. I have been elected by the people. Um, I'm older. Um, it's always coming from the self. It's always coming from an autonomous source of power and authority. While true faith, uh, true authority, mm-hmm. both, it's always coming from something outside of ourself. And that's the idea of transcendency. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about the covenant mandates of God. We have to start with who is transcendent. Where are these principles coming from? Where is this authority come from? It doesn't come from being a man. It doesn't come from being a husband. It doesn't come from being an elder. It doesn't come from being a senator, so on and so forth. It definitely doesn't come from being a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> um, it comes from God. All power and authority rests in Christ, period. And if you are not in line with Christ, you don't have it. Right. Yeah. It, Matthew 28 is so clear on this. All authority. All authority. And heaven on earth has been given to me. So that's the root of it all. All authority is in Christ Jesus. And you're right. If it's not aligned with him, then it's not true authority. That's why we can say, use the example of the police officer, um, shooting unarmed black men because you think they might have drugs or a gun, uh, judge, jury, executioner style. That's immoral. And we can say it's immoral. Right. No, we absolutely can. And this kind of gets into sort of the the realms of jurisdiction that we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, oftentimes the excuse is like, well, according to the law, like the particular dictates Mm -hmm. of the the law. And what they're talking about isn't God's law. They're talking about the the law in Virginia, the law in the United States. What they did was actually fine. Like, where is the the authority of that law coming from? Mm -hmm. The law itself? Mm-hmm. And it's this tiny circular argument always comes back to the people, the people, the people, or the government, the government, the government, when it actually needs to always be going back to God. Yeah. So the key word there, government, what is the very foundational government in God's Go- world? Government is not bad. Government's not bad. But let us define that. Yeah. <laughs> so the first, I mean, we start at the very foundational level. We're made in the image of God. We're unique individuals. We have the call of self-government. It's actually one of the fruit of the spirit, right? Self-control. Being able to govern oneself is an aspect of the dominion religion. Because if you're a power religionist, your mindset isn't so much, how do I govern myself, but how, how do I govern others? Whereas the dominion religion would say, no, we start here. Am I being governed? Am I pursuing holiness and righteousness under God's law as a person? Before we even get to family or church or state, that's where, that's where it begins. So self-government is a prerequisite to other governments. Absolutely. A man on the island is still under the authority of someone. He that, is. He's under the authority of Christ. He's under the authority of King Jesus, period. So no matter what situation we're talking about, it always has to start with self-government. Are you being faithful to God today in this moment? Because that's going to affect everything else. You cannot expect to abolish abortion when you're a drunk. 
You mm-hmm. can't expect to abolish abortion when you're addicted to pornography. You can't expect to, to abolish abortion whenever you hate your brother and lie to your brother. You can't expect any of these things. And I use abortion because it's obviously like super, um, it's a huge co- topic. It's a big cause. It's a worthy cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes there's this lack of integrity, lack of self-government in the name of a civil cause mm-hmm. later down the road. But you're not building your foundation. You're building your cause on sinking sand. Right. So we want to encourage holiness, the pursuit of Christ, beholding him every day, being conformed into his image. Um, what are ways that this works out? Well, you, you should be in your Bible. You should be in prayer. You should be dependent on the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you and, and be consciously sensitive to that. Um, and not just go about your days and it, you know, it's been two weeks since I prayed that sort of thing. No, like you're relying on yourself. It needs to be on your mind. It, like, it should be. Yeah. And, but let's just, let's use an illustration of one of the foremost things, which we're going to spend a whole episode on that. I know in the near future, but kill sure. the lizard. Yeah. And just this idea of, um, you know, a woman, and this is what I, I this is kind of how I frame it. A woman is guilty of a man's lust in the same way she's guilty of his fist hitting her in the face, which is to say she's not guilty at all. <laughs> and this whole idea of the modesty discussion, and it, it comes out in hyper patriarchal and even regular patriarchalism, I guess we can distinguish the two, but it comes out in those situations where a woman may be dressed in what's perceived as immodest and therefore this person is lusting and it's her fault. And it could be true that she actually might be sinning in that way and right. being, being immodest, but her sin isn't making somebody sin against her. Yeah. It's his responsibility to make a covenant with his eyes, as Job says, right? To not look upon a woman lustfully. It's his job to kill that lizard, the lizard of lust and the lizard of pornography, objectification. Right. And we're, we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on this right now because, again, like what Jason said, it needs an entire episode. But what we're talking about this lizard is always these sinful, hidden desires. Yeah. And it, it comes from an illustration, not really an illustration, but a story uh, from C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce. So highly recommend you go read The Great Divorce. Uh, it's allegorical. Don't expect that, you know, you're not going to be finding a strictly systematic theology of heaven <laughs> and hell there. So don't expect that. That's not the point. Uh, but there is a story of a man who has a lizard on his shoulder. And that lizard basically symbolizes his secret hidden desires. And he doesn't want to kill that lizard. And killing that lizard is very, very painful. But when you do, those desires actually can be transformed to something beautiful and powerful and righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one example of this, and this is actually an example that, C.S. Lewis uses is lust, is sexual sin, but how uh, the core of that isn't actually necessarily even sinful. You you should desire your wife in a sexual way, but it's been twisted Mm -hmm. and deformed and because of sin, because sin always takes the good gifts of God and destroys them. So when we're talking about authority and dominion and power, we have to understand personal righteousness first. And too often in Christian reconstruction circles or theonomous circles, there's at least a perception. I don't want to condemn it necessarily, but at least a perception that among our community, we're just law, law, law. We just care about changing the laws. We just care about society. And there's almost this demeaning of personal righteousness and personal Mm -hmm. piety and 
personal discipleship and actually controlling yourself, self-control, actually going in and reading God's word and spending time with God. All these things we kind of associate with like the dualists and the pietists. Yeah. And that's why it's super important to make the distinct, the distinction between being pious and then pietism. Right. Yeah. So foundational principle of self-government, we know, and we readily acknowledge that behind every injustice is, is idolatry. There's, there's a false God that's being worshiped. Any, any law that's put out there is a reflection. It's laws are made in the image of its God. (laughs) So, what do we do with that? Well, when it comes to self-government, we know that we have to see to it that our lives are a reflection of Christ before we get into any other cases of injustice, before we get into any other of these things, we need self-government first. We need that to be established first, which leads into then let's the, do the family, family government. Right. So what do we do with family government? Well, family government, of course, the power religious would say, well, I'm a man, therefore hear me roar, right? I'm a man, I'm in charge. You just answer to me. You must submit woman rather than the context of mutual submission, which Paul clearly articulates in, in Ephesians. Um, we, we need to establish right views of, of man and woman, specifically husband and wife, right views of the home. And, and a lot of that stems from I can just say it right now. Like I, I think early on in my marriage, I never, I don't think, I don't think Mary would ever say that I acted like this, <laughs> but it was kind of assumed that like, I'm in charge. Like I'm just in charge and there's no questions or no qualifications. I'm because I'm the husband intrinsically tied to that objective fact. Therefore I have this authority and power and you must submit to me. And I'll be the first to admit my wife is so much smarter than me, <laughs> so I make bad decisions. True, and I True. need I need <laughs> I need her to, you know, actually make good decisions because sometimes I'm incapable of making good decisions. Um, well, even even coming at this question, and this is perhaps the most controversial sphere of government to a lot of our listeners, at least coming to the patriarchal question as a presuppositionalist is also very interesting because we don't believe these standards change depending on who you are Mm -hmm. Uh, in in every single ethical situation between a man and a uh, and his wife there's going to be one correct side one wrong side or they're both wrong Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) and that's gonna that's essentially going to be the situation i don't want to oversimplify it all the time but that's essentially our situation uh, should we be seeking out what is the correct view as opposed to just who holds that view? Like it, there is going to be a right option. It doesn't necessarily going to be the man. Mm-hmm. And because we're presuppositionalists, we don't believe that there's going to be neutrality. And then, and so the right answer is going to be dependent upon who's the man. It doesn't work that way. Yep. And of course this is a com- you know, complex issue that deserves its own episode as well, <laughs> because I do believe that men and women are different, and there are certain limited roles in which they should function. And I do believe in a covenantal headship. But when you're dealing with ethics, who the man is doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What does the man do in reflecting Christ? Absolutely, that's what matters. That's that's exactly what matters. We need to be following God first, following Christ first, and if a and if a wife um, can correct the man, she should because mm-hmm. she needs to be honoring Christ first. And there's of course a way of doing that that is still going to be loving. We're not talking about this sort of like 
equally tyrannical response. Yeah. And I oftentimes hear that the argument against patriarchalism is essentially matriarchalism. But the problem with matriarchalism is the same problem with patriarchalism. <laughs> it's power religion. The wrong antithesis, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As if that's the only option. Yeah. It's the same argument we hear with the government. It's the same argument we, we hear with ecclesiology. It's that the only options there are are power religion. It just depends if it's a red power religion or blue power religion. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into the church government in a second. But I want to say one more thing on that regard. Um, I've done many, many pastoral counseling stuff with marriages, and um, I am particularly mindful of one where when we think of authority being rooted in Christ, and so it's got ethical attachments to it, um, this husband was being quite abusive. Uh, It was leading towards physical abuse, um, but just emotional abuse. he had a lust problem, those sort of things. But is it really abuse unless he hits her? Or are we actually yeah. full human beings that are also psychological and not just yeah, physical? exactly. We are. We are. <laughs> I would point our listeners to uh, my first sermon on the Reconstructing the Heart series on being whole persons, whole body, whole gospel. But my point is, is I wasn't going to go into that situation, which we had been, spent years with them. I wasn't going to go in that situation and say to her, you have to submit to him because he's your husband. Uh, in fact, I remember saying specifically, you don't have to submit to that because that's not true authority. He had abused his authority. That's not submit submission worthy. Um, we are to submit to Christ first. That doesn't mean we submit to uh, stuff that's not Christ-like. Right. So just like, you know, there's uh, getting into the state, but, you know, there are things where we wouldn't want to submit to the state. We're going to say, no, we'd rather obey God than men. It's the same thing in a marriage. So let's move on from there, though. Again, a whole episode, but we're, we're already hitting close to an hour now. But the, the third sphere, we would say, is the, the civil, or excuse me, ecclesiology, yeah, the, church. the church. So church government, same type of thing. You have elders and deacons. They are men who are set aside, who are appointed and acknowledged by the church as people who are functioning in an ethical and righteous manner. You have, uh, for example, extreme cases of elder abuse where it's just because I'm an elder, you have to submit to me and do what I say. Would it? Well, especially in cases where he's wrong. You know, it, it, being a teaching pastor here at Cross and Crown Church, if I'm not right on a certain area, you shouldn't submit to that. <laughs> right, exactly. No one should. Um, that, same principles carrying over. So you have elders who are, you know, men who are called to service, called to love the church, use their gifts. All of us are called to use our gifts, this mutual edification and and so on and so forth. But of course, there are abuses. There's always going to be abuses. And that's why it's so important to understand these categories, these really foundational principles, because oftentimes you're left with, well, if, you know, if you can just disagree with the elder, then like what power does he have? It's like, well, he doesn't have any in himself. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be Christ's power. So if you're submitting to Christ as opposed to your elder, then you're in the right. Mm -hmm. And like over time, obviously, you're going to have to be accountable to God alone for that because you could be wrong too. Mm -hmm. You can absolutely be wrong. The elder could be right. You could be wrong. And you think you might be like righteously resisting tyranny and you could just be a punk. Yeah, That's definitely an option. But we all have to make our choices. We're all ultimately going to be answering to God. And that's really not 
changing the equation much. That's always been the case. Yes. <laughs> That's always been the case. Even in a strict uh, uh, ecclesiological structure in which you must obey the elders or you're excommunicated or you're, you're you know, you're basically told that you're disobedient to authority. Um, there's still individuals making decisions. Right. Yep. And it's just like any relationship. What is the authority? It's Christ. It's his word. And so elders can be, can be wrong. Right. I, I recently read, um, essentially what amounts to a book of church order. I don't think they called it that cause it's from a Baptist church. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, Matt Chandler's the village church. I, I read some large portions of their, essentially again, their, their book of church order and the, the ruling elders, the, the big elders, there's all these different categories for them. And it's not really biblical categories, but they essentially have elders and they have like super elders. Um, <laughs> uh, they're not accountable to anybody but themselves. Yeah. And I don't want to pick fun at them because honestly, that's a very similar situation as in the OPC or the PCA or the CREC. There's all these different denominations that are essentially the same Presbyterian denominations. Uh, so I don't want to necessarily single them out, but it it reminded me of the the obvious disobedience to God's word in that setup, where you are accountable to God. And scripture says that if an elder sins and there's two or more witnesses, you can call him out on that. Rebuke him in the presence of all. You don't actually have to be an elder to do that. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the same standard as anybody else in the church. It's not different. In fact, I would say they have a greater responsibility to be righteous, not a smaller responsibility. Yeah. Um, and this is the effect of power religion where men and women, uh, demand the authority without the responsibility. And there is a clear line that we can trace. Um, and you think of the sovereign grace abuse scandals, the SBC stuff that's coming out too. Um, there's a, there's a lot. It could be in Presbyterian circles. There's all these issues of abuse and, and the power religion thrives on control controlling others, um, which control then lives, um, which is rooted, rooted in autonomy, right? Control then lends itself to manipulation. And in those situations, you have these abuse scandals being, you know, we're going to handle this in-house. Right. Let's or, let's basically get the public relations team and the risk management team and yeah. make sure that uh, our, you know, our public image marketing isn't going to be affected. Yeah. And it's all, I was just talking to my wife about this recently, actually uh, yesterday. Um, just like this, this, this idea we were talking about is specifically youth groups and like the stuff that happens at camps and youth retreats and all this, these things where you have molestation, you have all of these um, pedophilia things. It could be a whole host of sexual sins, but it's in that type of environment where it's very top down, very authoritarian, very hyper patriarchal, very much elders can do no wrong because he's an elder. You have to submit to him. And, and there's this idea. Well, really within all of that, there's this, these things thrive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Those, those things thrive because it's very secret. Again, it's dominion over other men. And so instead of bringing things to light, which we're supposed to, we hide it. Right. Exactly. It's just completely the opposite impulse. Yeah. So again, each of these could be their whole episode, but the dominion religion versus the power religion in this situation, the dominion religion means we need elders who are willing to lay down their lives. 
Absolutely. Pastors who are willing to serve, who, who are not just walking around wanting people to kiss their ring and bow to their authority. Right. Who are willing to say, I think you should follow my lead on this, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. And then what Paul said, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. I think so. <laughs> to the degree that I'm not following Christ, none of you should follow me. When does Paul say, obey me because I'm Paul? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the last section of government that we have in God's law is is, is civil government. It's a civil magistrate statism. And obviously this is kind of a, a, a heavy-handed one in large part because it's so pervasive. It's much bigger than a lot of these governments. Right. And this is why we're actually going to find a lot of unity with people. When we talk about, <laughs> when we talk about the yeah. power religion of the government, we're going to hear a lot of you know applause and people are going like, to pat us on the back. And, and yeah, we are going to talk about it. But what we're trying to do is actually have some consistency yeah consistency across the board means that we are not playing the political partisan game um, we believe that the civil government is a godly institution it's instituted by god romans 13 1 makes that clear but well what law are they supposed to enforce they're supposed to enforce god's law they're supposed to um, be uh, punishing evil and rewarding good Absolutely. And, and again, this kind of goes back to our, our two categories that we thought about in the, the beginning of the episode, where there's what is good versus what is evil, but then there's also who has the jurisdiction to enforce those things. Mm-hmm. So there are some Christians, even so, so-called theonomists, who want to make a laundry list of sins illegal. Mm-hmm. And not all of those sins are we actually given the authority to make illegal. They might be sins, and they might be actionable sins in ecclesiastical yeah. context. You might be brought up on church discipline charges or eventually excommunicated, but there is no jurisdiction given to the state to enforce those things. So our, you know, our covenanter brothers who want to throw people in prison for having a Christmas tree <laughs> is like a like a blatant example. Yeah, um, or fine them or something. Whatever you know, it depends on which covenanter you're talking to. Uh, that's just a more radical example, but this goes all the way down just to our average everyday typical you know Christian Republican, mm-hmm. um, where they take essentially their own personally selected sins that they personally believe is more reprehensible and say these should be illegal because it grosses me out or because I'm personally against it more than these other things while they call for liberty for themselves for these other things. Mm -hmm. The Dominion religion with regard to the civil government, we acknowledge Again, we're not about autonomy. We're not about that's the that's the power religion. That's a satanic religion. Autonomy and um, this idea of what we might even call like forced obedience or coercion, where you're coerced into paying taxes, right? Compulsory taxation. Right. You are coerced to talk to a police officer, and they'll ask you, "Well, how's your day? Where are you going?" And in your response should be nothing or, you know, am I free to go? I'm fine. Am I being detained? (laughs) Right. And, and so like we get into jury nullification, there's all these aspects of the civil realm where the dominion religion is not going to say, where can I, you know, exercise my authority or get someone to exercise my authority? Because I've said this before, the last thing I want is theonomy within Trump's hands. Cause what he's already proven and he hates the stranger. Right. right. And and you might say, well, no, 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 he's not racist. Well, I'm not talking about necessarily that in particular, although I think I know, I think I know what that, the answer is. But the fact that we have immoral um, things like a border wall, the fact that there was this fomenting of, well, if they cross the border, shoot them. That's the same stuff we started this segment with, with regard to how Israel had treated the stranger. 
and immigration is just one among a billion other, you know, policies and issues. Oh yeah. We could, this is five episodes. <laughs> it, it really is. But I guess the point I'm trying to make with regard to all of that is the dominion religion seeks to serve and better others to put others before yourself. I teach this to my kids day in and day out. It, it, it should trickle up, right? Up meaning like outward to, <laughs> right. to the state. It goes right back to that Rush Duty quote where the closest thing that we have to biblical law is a radical libertarianism. Mm-hmm. This is why I can have a lot of unity with my reformed libertarian brothers. Um, it's because God's law is primarily not to control individuals. That's not its goal. It's to give them liberty in Christ. And there are guidelines. There are obvious sins. But it's not to enslave us, but to free us. That's a great point. Um, The autonomy being the desire for control. To control others, to have dominion over others, to manipulate them, to get them to do what we want. And that spills over all the way from self-government to family government. It has everything to do with that. And and oftentimes you, we're dealing with these presuppositions, which is why we wanted to talk about this. And I know we're kind of going long, but this is so important to understand is that God's law has a, what Rush Dooney calls the direction of the law. Mm-hmm. Is the direction of the law going to be power and control of the authorities over others? Or is the direction of the law going to be liberties to the individual while restrictions are given to the authorities? Mm-hmm. And there's this direction, there's this assumption where it's like you ask like some random question. Is it lawful for me to do X? And your impulse says a lot. Your impulse should be, well, does God law does God's law prohibit that? That's that's one impulse. The other impulse is does God's law allow me to do that specifically? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the trend is always this for God's law. The trend is always liberty for the individual. The trend for the the power religion is liberty for the collective. Right. And that's always the tension between the individual and the collective. This doesn't mean there's not a collective, you know, in a sense, your family is a collective unit. Your church is a collective unit. But there's a balance, right? We have... We have resolution to all these false dialectics. We have the resolution of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Whole nother episode. <laughs> Trinitarian authority. But yeah. yeah, Trinitarian authority is what we're after. And, and that means um, liberty, the law of liberty. That's what James calls it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end. I just want to read Luke 22, verse 24 and then following. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Over and over and over again, the gospel pattern is the first shall be last, right? The last shall be first. The serving the least of these, right? Matthew 23, right? Ish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just escaped me for the moment. Um, the, the pattern is take up your cross, follow Christ. That's where true authority is. The, the, the dominion religion is built on service. Right. We're not trying to change the direction of this ship. We're trying to sink this ship. <laughs> it is a completely different system. Yeah. Um, so that's it, man. Good, good stuff. Good conversation. Um, again, we want to cover, especially, I know we want to get to the kill of the lizard and spend some more time on that, 
um, on another episode and all of those could be episodes in and of themselves but hopefully at least uh, whet your appetite for the moment um, one thing just I kind of saved it to the end uh, just to be thinking about to our listeners um, we are be prepared we're, we're, um, we're putting together uh, some sort of strategic partnership with you we, we're looking for monthly supporters um, with uh, we want to give a gift to you too of course involved in that but we're going to have some details for you soon on that we're looking to swag some gear um, we want to build this we want to um, partner with you to help us reach more people with this message of the comprehensive gospel of the kingdom so be listening for that um, but otherwise yeah we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that soon so John thanks Thanks for the discussion. It was it was good. No, thank um, you, Jason. It was I'm, good. I'm excited. Um, once again, check us out on Facebook. You can find us there, Cross and Crown Radio. And uh, give us a shout. Check us out on our website, crosscrownchurch.com. That's it. Until next time, Jesus is King. No neutrality, no exile, no surrender. Grace and peace. Tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down you can run on for a long time run on for a long time run on for a long time sooner or later gotta cut you down sooner or later gotta cut you down well you may throw your rock hide your hand Working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time.